Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The following podcast contains adult content, explicit language, and sexual themes. Listener discretion is advised. And it contains murder. Lots and lots of murder. You stinking bastard. People tell me, hey, you're going to go back and go to hell. I'm not alone. Down for 911, where's your emergency? Oh, this is Sandy. The pretty one, look. Cops in the road. Send the police. Send the police. One in the chest, one in the hip. Fired by Detective Sergeant Roger Rogerson. I was uh, branching out. That's when the cannibalism started. Eating of the heart and uh, the arm muscle. Oh, oh we're now Carl Williams. He's still coming down with this and just pull it out of his backside. Carl Williams is a wobbly bottom little cher- cherub face, cherub face little boy who would, who, 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 whose life would be. I harm someone each time I kill someone to be an enormous amount. Michelle Burgess had a history of cheating on her husband, but a sordid affair she started in the year 2000 took it to another level. Her husband's boss, Kevin Matthews, fell hard for the saucy strumpet and they soon began to plan the murder of their spouses. Looking for a contract killer at her children's primary school seemed like the easy part, but could they get away with murder when news of their affair had gotten so public? And was their junkie amateur hitman Dave Key up for the job? Hi, I'm Barney Black. And I'm Tara Saraband. And this is Bloody Murder. We're a comedy true crime podcast focusing on some of the lesser-known crime stories from Australia. And indeed around the globe. As a comedy true crime podcast, we use humour to lighten up horrifying stories, but never at the expense of the victims or their loved ones. If you think comedy has no business being associated with tragedy, then Bloody Murder may not be the podcast for you. Now, before we commence our sordid tales, we'd like to remind you that this episode is brought to you by our wonderful and generous patrons. Oh, we love them. We do. We've had quite a few new ones join our new fancy Patreon program, which we will thank individually after our story. If you'd like to become a patron, go to our website for details. That's bloodymurderpodcast.com. As a patron, you have access to dozens of other episodes, including our rip-snorting and shark-slapping first season and ad-free versions of all of our regular episodes. As well as exclusive patron-only monthly episodes where we get psychic medium Alison Dubois drunk and watch her savage our enemies as she sucks on an electronic cigarette. That has never happened in a patron episode, Tara. Well, not yet it hasn't. Let me have my dreams, Barney. Levels above $5 receive stickers and handmade Barney badges. All right, Tara, let's get murdery. Oh, I'm there. When 25-year-old Corey Bayliss woke on a morning in January 2001, he didn't expect to see his boss participating in public sex in a park across the road from his house (laughs) with a woman who wasn't his wife. But that's exactly what he saw. Good morning. It all started when Corey popped out to check his mailbox and he noticed his boss Kevin Matthews' car parked across the road at the Royer Mere Reserve in Oakden, South Australia. Looking around, Corey couldn't see Kevin anywhere, so he went back inside and upstairs to his room. Peering out his window, he saw a sight that he would never forget. Kevin Matthews, regional manager of Bow Repairs Tyres, former surf life-saving club president and married father of three, was lying naked on the grass with a plump blonde woman riding him like there was no tomorrow. (laughs) Dumbfounded, Corey's jaw dropped. He didn't want to look, yet he couldn't turn away. Oh no, Corey. Watching your boss have public sex is like an eclipse. You shouldn't look directly at it unless you're wearing protective goggles. 
Eventually, he was able to tear his gaze away for a moment to phone his co-worker, Troy Cook, who worked with him at a nearby bow repair store in Edwardstown. He said, Hey, Troy, Kevin Matthews is out the front of my place having cuddles with this woman. Do you know what his wife looks like? Troy was perplexed and asked him what the fuck was going on. Corey asked him again, What does his wife look like? Is she a bit younger than him? Is she a bit chubby with shoulder-length blondish hair? Troy replied, Nah, nah, not really, and she's not really chubby. Corey told him, Well, she's sitting on top of him and they're having some pretty decent cuddles. (laughs) In disbelief, Tony replied, That can't be Kevin. I'll give him a call. A moment later, Corey watched out his window as Kevin's coitus was interrupted by his mobile (laughs) ringing. He scrambled to find his phone in the pile of clothes next to him. When he answered, Troy asked him, Where are you at the moment? Have you got time for a quick chat? Breathing heavily, Kevin replied that he was at a service station only five minutes away from the office. Uh, It was a service station, all right. Troy said, Cool, I'll talk to you when you get back. The phone call seemed to kill the moment and Kevin Matthews and the blonde woman undocked and headed to their cars. <laughs> Corey and Troy would soon know the identity of this mysterious woman, as would the rest of Australia. She would later be described as a terrible temptress, a sex-craved she-devil witch and a sexual predator capable of manipulating men to do terrible, evil things. What? Did she take away their free will? Well, she freed their willies, that's for sure, Tara. (laughs) Free Willy, that's my favourite movie. I know. Michelle Burgess was born Michelle Elizabeth Goldup on August 7th, 1973 in Rose Park, Adelaide. She was the youngest of five children and had two older brothers and sisters. Michelle dropped out of high school before completing year 10, which was not a difficult decision for her, as this had been the second school that had told her to jog on due to her crappy attendance record. She went to work a couple of days a week at her dad's air conditioning business, but she found this too dull and quit after a month. Sounds like a pretty exciting job to me. Yeah, I'm excited just reading the words. Next came a stint as a checkout chick at Big W. This too would not last long and would be the last time Michelle would suffer the indignity of employment. When she was 15, Michelle met 18-year-old Darren Burgess at a Christian rock festival in a park. They both thought it was pretty lame and discovered they had a lot in common, including a love of football. Not playing it, just watching it, and also attending the social functions after the games. Darren and Michelle were in love, but argued when Michelle flirted outrageously and threw herself at football players. When Darren called her out on this, she told him that she was doing nothing wrong. Darren had been working at a few local tyre stores, but really wanted to join the police force. He'd passed all the written and physical tests, but failed the interview for being too sensitive and shy. Disappointed and looking for something else to do, his father, a Bow Repairs tyres manager, suggested he apply for a trainee's position at Bow Repairs in Walkerville, South Australia. After completing this traineeship, he was appointed assistant manager at Bow Repairs in Enfield. Around the time of Darren's 21st birthday, he and Michelle decided to buy a block of land and build a house on it. The ink wasn't even dry on the contract when Darren caught Michelle having sex with a neighbour called Brendan in the back of her father's car. Oh, please tell me her father wasn't driving at the time. No, he was too busy filming them. Did that happen? No, no, it didn't happen. Darren and Michelle immediately split up, with Darren deciding to buy the block of land on his own. A few months later, Darren received a call from Michelle's mother, who said that Michelle's new boyfriend, Brendan, was assaulting her. Darren felt sorry for her and re-established contact. It wasn't long before they were back together. It also wasn't long before Darren busted Michelle cheating on him again. Then Michelle announced that she was pregnant. She swore the child was his, but Darren was not convinced. He would later say... I provided her with stability, a home and money. That's all I was to her. It probably would have been a good idea for him to leave right then and there, but he didn't. He remained loyal to Michelle and they moved in together. On November 15th, 1992, Michelle gave birth to a baby boy. 
Soon afterwards, Darren was transferred to Beau Repair's Mildura store in Victoria. It would mean moving across the border 400 kilometres away. But Darren thought this was just what his new family needed, a fresh start. Upon arrival in Mildura, Darren proposed to Michelle and they set a wedding date for a year's time. After a few weeks of settling in, Darren began to suspect that Michelle was having an affair with his co-worker, a man we shall call Barry. Darren confronted Barry, but he denied it, but was soon after transferred to another store. In late 1993, Darren finally secured a transfer back to Adelaide, working as an assistant manager at the Bow Repairs store in Elizabeth. He would later say that he liked Mildura but missed his hometown, although he did enjoy the fact friends and family could not just drop in on him because he was embarrassed by Michelle. She wasn't big on cleanliness, she was disgusting, he said. What was he like with cleanliness? Well, he was a hell of a lot better than her. <laughs> okay. Two weeks before their wedding, Darren found a letter in their car that Michelle had written to morning TV presenter Denise Ding Dong Drysdale. <laughs> in the letter, she was seeking advice. Michelle wrote that she was having an affair with Barry, that's Darren's co-worker in Mildura, mm -hmm. and that she hadn't fallen in love with him. Darren found this letter on the same day he and Michelle were to see a priest for their pre-marriage counselling. Feeling angry but beaten down and full of self-loathing, Darren kept his mouth shut and the wedding went ahead. Ooh, that's a strong foundation. It's not, no, really, is it? No, it's not. Darren would later tell author Derek Pedley for his book Dead by Friday, I would have looked so stupid calling it off, but really I was stupid not to. I remember going to the toilet at the church and thinking, what the hell am I doing here? But it was too late to pull out. We got married. The following month, Darren and Michelle attended a Beau Repairs Christmas party at the Bridgeway Hotel. And that's when things got even sexier. Oh, they certainly mm. did. Darren introduced Michelle to his regional manager, Kevin Matthews, and his wife, Carolyn. Michelle was not initially impressed with Kevin. Red-faced and full of scotch and coke, Kevin looked like the love child of Dennis Rader and a walrus. He really did. The overweight Kevin was crass and lecherous, making appalling and graphic comments of a sexual nature that made all around him cringe. As a party trick, he liked to whip out his dick and put it in his scotch so no one would drink it. Were people really clamouring to drink his scotch that badly? I don't want to drink the dick scotch. I'm not having any dick scotch, thank you very much, either. Michelle also disliked Kevin's wife, Carolyn Matthews, for reasons unknown to Darren. Michelle called them pig dog and bush pig. <laughs> I'll have a whiskey, hold the dick. Too late. I know. Meanwhile, Darren's co-workers formed a pretty bad opinion of Michelle, describing her as lazy, entitled and always haranguing Darren for money. But one of his colleagues liked Michelle, a man Darren played volleyball with, the same named Darren Bland. We'll just call him Bland so we don't confuse him with Darren Burgess. Also, Bland is a very sexy name. Blandy. Blandy. Blando. Blando. <laughs> Bland's clandestine affair with Michelle would last three years until his eventual transfer to a bow repairs shop in Melbourne. Oh, Blando's put his dick in the drink. Oh, no. Oh. Just, just like Kevin. What is the, is the drink um, Michelle's nickname? <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's put their dick in the drink, Barney. Uh. During this time, Michelle became pregnant again. Darren Burgess said, I'm guessing that his betrayal, his dog act of having an affair with my wife, was playing on his conscience, and the only way to move on was to ask for a transfer. In September 1996, Darren was promoted to manager at the Bow Repairs Ridgehaven store, shortly after Michelle gave birth to a baby girl. Was Darren the father? He didn't know, and he tried not to think too much about it. Bland later admitted to the three-year tryst with Michelle and said they often had sex in parks and she fell pregnant to him and had gotten an abortion. Darren knew his marriage was in the toilet, but he didn't know how to end it. Instead, he began to abuse himself with alcohol. For the next few years, he smashed beers just to numb the pain of living with Michelle. In March 2000, after a bow repairs function, he was busted by police for drink driving. Darren knew it was a sackable offence. He approached his regional manager, Kevin Matthews, and told him about his six-month suspension from driving and asked him what he could do. Darren was a valued and competent employee and it was decided that he would keep his job. Darren turned his life around, stopped drinking and concentrated on working hard and looking after his children. Meanwhile, Michelle had changed her mind about pig dog Kevin Matthews and was soon exchanging dozens of text messages with the married father of three. 
In September 2000, Michelle told her friend Cassandra Hutchinson that Kevin had asked her to become his mistress. That's romantic. Did he get down on one knee? What does one present to their mistress instead of a ring? Birth control. (laughs) Makes sense. News of their sexy subterfuge soon became the worst-kept secret in Adelaide with word getting back to Darren. Just before Darren's 30th birthday, he noticed a love bite on Michelle's neck one morning after she'd been out on what she said was a night out with the girls. She told him one of her friends had pinched her, but Darren knew it was a hickey and his boss Kevin had put it there. In another incident, Michelle told Darren she had to stay at a hotel in the city for some sort of training for a job she had at their son's school. Yeah, sure. In her defence, it was probably some kind of job. Yeah, it probably was. <coughs> job. <laughs> Darren told Michelle he didn't want Kevin at his birthday party. But Callis Michelle told him it was too late. She'd already invited both Kevin Matthews and his wife, Carolyn. On the day of Darren's birthday, Michelle went to see Kevin at his office and had sex with him on his desk. Oh, happy birthday, Darren. It must have been a pretty strong desk. At the party later that night, Michelle stood by Kevin all night long, laughing at his jokes and flirting with him, while embarrassed Darren Burgess and Kevin's wife Carolyn looked on. Carolyn Tidswell was born on July 25th, 1963. She had one younger and three older brothers. In 1978, 15-year-old Carolyn met Kevin Matthews at a party to mark the one-year anniversary of the death of Elvis Presley. Kevin had been working at Bow Repair since 1977. Before that, he was pumping gas at a local service station. They soon became good friends and started dating. They both became heavily involved in the Surf Lifesaving Club. Six years later, they were married, going on to have three sons, Kenny, Daniel and Shane. Both Carolyn and Kevin were well-liked and respected in the community, but lately people close to the family noticed a change in Kevin. He was drinking more, texting constantly, and then disappearing for hours on end. Yeah, coming back with grass stains on his back. A month after Darren's birthday was Kevin's 40th birthday party. Carolyn was noticing their finances were strangely tighter than usual. It was due to all the hotel bookings and boozy lunches Kevin was having with Michelle. Despite being strapped for cash, Kevin treated himself to a $17,000 speedboat. What did he call it? The Dirty Oar? Ships and Giggles? Seduction? Or what about Adultacy? I think he called it Bodgy. Bodgy? What is that like his nickname for his doodle? Something like that. Okay, well, makes sense. Carolyn, fearing her husband would humiliate her yet again, didn't invite a lot of her close friends. Carolyn was right, Tara. Kevin made a complete ass out of himself. Darren, who really didn't want to be there, watched as Kevin slobbered all over Michelle. With his arm around her, he led her from person to person, introducing her as his new best friend. <laughs> this is Michelle. She's a, she's a top chick. She's my new best friend. And then see those down there, those two? Those are my two other new best friends. I bet he was like that. Oh, yeah. But worse. Darren noticed that Michelle was drinking scotch and coke. Kevin's favourite drink, rather than her usual strongbow cider. Ah, she liked a wrongbow or two, did she? Uh, Kevin really liked scotch, so much so, Tara, that he received no less than 52 bottles of it for his birthday. Well, that should last him a month or two. Maybe not that long. (laughs) The scotch didn't agree with Michelle. Later on in the night, she spent quite some time paying homage to the porcelain god. Ah, the technicolour yawn. To toss one's cookies. To paint the town red and green and orange and pink and carrots and peas. (laughs) Darren scooped up the piss Michelle and took her home. She was so drunk the next morning, Darren was thrilled when he discovered she had shat the bed. Well, perhaps Kevin the BTK walrus was into scat porn. I wouldn't put it past him. (laughs) Nom, 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 nom. Nom, nom, nom. Tasty like fish. Yum. Yum. On Tuesday, October 24th, Kevin booked a room with a queen-size bed at the Novotel in Adelaide. He checked in at 10am and was out by 4pm. The bill included charges for two chicken burgers, wedges, an orange juice and watching the movie The Patriot. Well, watching Mel Gibson play a widower who raises seven children really does get the juices flowing. Oh, yeah. Pretty much any two-hour and 44-minute movie about the southern theatre of the American Revolutionary War gets me in the mood. Hey, baby! Hey, baby! On November 8th, Kevin made a booking for a saucy bubble spa room at the airport hotel. Uh, What kind of sauce did he choose? Barbecue. On December 19th, it was back to the Novotel for more skyrockets in flight afternoon delight. 
I'm just going to assume they watched Lethal Weapon 4 this time. They did, twice. The very next day, it was a South Park hotel in Adelaide for more daylight, sexy time hijinks. And a romantic viewing of a man without a face. Michelle caught up with her friend Cassandra just before Christmas and told her that she'd given her lover Kevin an ultimatum. Leave his wife Carolyn by mid-January or the sex would stop. He would be undocked forever. No, don't turn off the sex tap. (laughs) Oh, ah, firmly. I'm turning it off firmly. Worried about missing out on her gold-plated vagina, Kevin agreed. According to Michelle, Kevin told her that after returning from his family Christmas holiday, he would drop the hammer on his wife. Cassandra was appalled by Michelle's behaviour. The next day, she sent an anonymous letter to her lover Kevin at his Bow Repairs work address. It read, in capitals, You are acting like children. You are to end the affair before Christmas. Or what? (laughs) Or what? Or what? It didn't work. Kevin was so vaginamatised, he was blind to everything and everyone around him. He paid little to no attention to his wife, Carolyn, when her father died on Christmas Eve after a short battle with cancer or when she started to receive threatening anonymous phone calls. Yeah, they don't sound that anonymous to me. On Christmas Day, Darren noticed Michelle wearing an expensive gold necklace. When he quizzed her about it, she told Darren that she got it for $10 at Samuel's Jewelers. Darren knew something was up and looked through Michelle's car. Oh, did he find another letter to Ding Dong? (laughs) No, he wishes. This time he found a Zamel's jewellery box and a card that read, Chook loves Daffy. This is just enough to tide you over for Christmas. Don't spend it on scotch. Because they would use dumb baby voices if they're calling each other Chook and Daffy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, come on. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Chooky loves Daff Daff. No, you're smoochy. Darren recalled Michelle telling a friend she wanted to add something to her tramp stamp tattoo of a rose, the cartoon character Daffy Duck. He's my favourite, she said. It was the first he'd ever heard her mention the Warner Brothers duck. The next day, Darren received a phone call from a woman calling herself Julie. It was actually Michelle's friend Cassandra. She told him, your wife's having an affair with Kevin Matthews and immediately hung up. Darren was fed up and confronted Michelle, but she denied the affair. Nah. No. <laughs> I'm not having an affair. I will not give you my DNA. <laughs> no. Darren later phoned Kevin, who swore on his kids' lives that he was not having an affair with Michelle. Gross. On January 5th, Carolyn rang Michelle and told her to stay away from her husband. On January 8th, Darren received a 28-page phone bill for Michelle's phone. It totaled around $1,200 and was filled with text messages and phone calls to Kevin Matthews. It also showed the total for the previous month, which was $1,600. That's ridiculous. This was the moment Darren decided to leave Michelle for good. He rang Kevin and said, Oh, I just want to thank you. Thank me? What for? For taking that stupid bitch off my hands. It's the best thing that could have happened to me. Darren moved out and started applying for jobs. He could no longer stand to work at bow repairs with wife shagger Kevin as his boss. In the next month, Michelle and Kevin's steamy affair went on unabated. There were more saucy afternoon hotel bookings and Mel Gibson movies. (laughs) It was around this time Corey Bayless saw them having public sex in a park across the road from his house. I still don't think he's over that. No, I don't think Corey's ever going to get over that. Meanwhile, Carolyn was feeling the pinch of Kevin's reckless spending and was finding it hard to pay the bills and feed her three boys. On February 28th, Michelle told her ex, Darren, she had cervical cancer and only had one year left to live. She said she wanted to spend it with Darren and the children. Darren called bullshit on this. He was right to. It was bullshit. Low bullshit. Rumours were swirling around Burrapers that cunt-struck Kevin had been seen getting a head job by a tubby blonde woman in his car. While Darren was fighting Michelle on custody issues with their children, he learned that Michelle had met a new man on the internet. Graham. Oh, Lady Gragra. <laughs> He moved in with Michelle for a few weeks before she tired of him. While Michelle's probably wore it down to a nub and she had no more use for it. That's right. (laughs) While Michelle's life was getting more complicated and chaotic by the minute, Darren was starting to get his in order. He began dating a woman named Kathy. 
You would think this would please Michelle, but it didn't. Oh, I wouldn't think that it would please her. She's a controlling goblin and they want all the attention all the time. That's right. When Michelle found out about his new girlfriend, she rang Darren and said, You're dead and Kathy's dead. I know where she lives. That's a promise, not a threat. I'll kill you both. Michelle then rang Kathy and called her a slut, a whore and a troll. Kathy calmly retorted, If you're going to call me abusive names, at least get it right. It's a trollop, not a troll. I don't live under a bridge. I like Kathy. I like Kathy too. We'll be back with the conclusion of Terrible Temptress Michelle Burgess after this. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Barney. Yes, Tara. What time is it? It's True Crime Nerd Time. True Crime Nerd Time is an opportunity for you, our listeners, to give us your recommendations for anything true or fiction crime related. It can be a book, movie, TV series, graphic novel, song, or just about anything that has scratched your crime-obsessed itch. It could be one of those pug dogs. Uh, with a, a true with a, crime pug dog. Yeah, you know, with the squashed-up faces. They're, yes. they're really cool. Well, and how would it be related to this topic that it's supposed to be well, related the dog, to? Well, the dog solves crimes, obviously. Oh, Shows that. What is it? I want to. I want to watch that. I want to hear it. I want to read about it. Uh, it's called Pug Detective. Pug Detective. <laughs> <laughs> if only Mickey Rooney could star in it, then it would yeah. be perfect. Well, you can record your voice. Just do it on your phone. We'll play it or write it, and we'll read it out. And we have one here from Mike, and he tells us about the three-part documentary series, The Cult of the Family. Oh. And he writes, "Hi, Tara and Barney." I hope you are both well. Well, thanks for asking, Mike. Yeah, I'm good. How- yeah, I'm pretty good too, thanks, Mike. How are you? How are you doing, Mike? Ah, got a bit shy now, have you, Mike? Ah. Well, he goes. <laughs> he does have some more stuff here. He says, I'm sure you have heard of and probably seen the documentary on Anne Hamilton Byrne, leader of the family, also known as the Great White Brotherhood. Uh, yes, I certainly have fascinating stuff. I saw this on UK TV recently and... And I am so amazed how one person can brainwash so many people to allow young children to be taken away from their parents at birth. There were people in the police, healthcare, even government embroiled in this sect that let these children go missing and take them to their lodge. These children were cared for by various aunties who enjoyed physically, mentally, even sexually abusing these poor kids. One particularly heartbreaking moment, um, one of the, the kids who was raised in the cult, because they didn't know who their parents were, like they didn't know who their real mums were, and one of the worst aunties, the meanest, most vicious auntie, he finds out later on when he's in his late teens that she's his mum and it oh. just breaks him. Oh. It's really intense. Like it's this is fascinating mm. stuff, but it's also really emotionally mm. just horrible what happened to these poor kids. Yeah. Well, fortunately, there were some Victorian police officers who dug into this and bravely battled to try and bring this fucking piece of work to justice. But unfortunately, justice isn't always easy to get. If you want to watch the troubling story of a yoga teacher who said she was the resurrection whilst doing the downward dog, is that you, Barney? Woof! Um, Woof. That's Pug Detective. Uh, (laughs) It could be called Downward Dog because maybe he's on a downward spiral and he's drinking. He was undercover. (laughs) This program is for you. It scared me that once someone gets power over people, how easily they overpowered intelligent people into believing utter shite. Yeah. Another thing is that Anne, um, she, the leader, had heaps and heaps of plastic surgery. She looks like a freaky alien. And it's made it so that her hairline is really far back. It's really creepy. She doesn't look human. And I'm actually not sure that she is. Yeah, well, it's inhuman what she did to those children. Oh, yeah. And those aunties too. They deserve a, mm, they deserve a blanket party. 
Well, Mike finishes his letter with, It makes me wonder, does Barney really make his badges? I shudder to think. Is and that that's right? um, Mike from North Wales. Yay. I do make the badges. Yeah. Yeah, I do. Barney makes the badges in this relationship. That's right. And I wear the the, the jorts. jorts. You definitely wear the jorts <laughs> and the kilots. Ah, that's right. <laughs> Well, thank you, Mike. That documentary is The Cult of the Family, and the details of which will be in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, it's really really worth a look. Um, also, if you're more into podcasts, both Extraordinary Stories and Let's Talk About Sects podcasts have done great episodes on The Cult of the Family too. And, of course, uh, Barry and uh, Sarah, hey. do, they do excellent work. They really do. We love them. If you'd like to submit to True Crime Nerd Time, visit our website, bloodymurderpodcast.com, for instructions on how to contribute. Everybody has a story, and not all of those stories are clear black and white issues, even when we think they are. We wonder how did this happen, or what is that like, or what happens next? Are you sure you really want to know? This is Ignorance Was Bliss at IWB Podcast. So, 2020 is still at it, huh? Yep. Wasn't the next thing supposed to be murder hornets? Give them time, they'll show up. Is everything going on in the world, and the way this year is panning out, interfering with your ability to be happy? Is something stopping you from achieving your goals? Are you lonely in isolation, possibly missing your old life? Or perhaps all of this is just making other stuff you have to deal with even harder. We're both big believers in therapy, and there's no better time than now to take care of your mental health. BetterHelp is there for you no matter where you are. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist that suits you. You can connect in a safe and private online environment. And you can start communicating in under 24 hours. It's professional counselling that produces real results, not self-help. And you can communicate with your counsellor at any time. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses, plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. All without having to sit in a germy, people waiting room. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change counsellors if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline counselling, and financial aid is available. And it's a service you can access worldwide. You can be communicating with licensed professional counsellors who have a broad range of expertise and specialise in areas such as anxiety, depression, stress, trauma and family conflicts. Anything you share is confidential. It's convenient, professional and very affordable. If you want to start living a happier life today, connect with BetterHelp. And as a Bloody Murder listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting BetterHelp, that's betterhelp.com forward slash bloody murder. Join over 800,000 people taking charge of their mental health. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. If you don't believe us, check the dozens of positive testimonials on their website. So visit betterhelp.com forward slash bloody murder. That's better, H-E-L-P.com forward slash bloody murder. And now the conclusion of terrible temptress Michelle Burgess. In June 2001, BTK walrus-looking Kevin Matthews was demoted at Bow Repairs because of excessive spending on his expense account, being drunk on the job and constant absences. They probably should have chucked in his uh, behaviour at the office Christmas party yeah. with the whole dick in his drink thing well, too. Well, maybe but... he just put his dick in one too many whiskies. Yeah, well, I mean, is there such a thing? Most of his colleagues thought that this had a lot to do with his affair. Kevin started work at Bow Repair's Port Adelaide store. By complete coincidence, Darren Bland, with whom Michelle had previously had an affair, was working across the road at Ultra Tune Automotive Services. She will bang anyone who works at a tyre shop. Bland knew Kevin and had heard about him banging Michelle. He approached him one day and quizzed him about it. Kevin, of course, denied the affair. Bland told him Michelle was trouble and he'd be better off steering clear. It's good advice. Yeah, it's not bad advice. Took Bland years to figure it out though, didn't it? Yeah, Blandy knows. Listen to Blandy. Oh, the wisdom of Blandy. It's the name of my fourth album. It was around this time that Michelle and Kevin decided it would be a good idea to kill his wife, Carolyn Matthews, and her ex, Darren Burgess. <sighs> yeah, it's not a good idea. I beg to differ. 
So uh, where do you think would be a good place to find a hitman, Barney? Uh, Soldier of Fortune magazine. <laughs> it's not the 1970s, dude. Well, on the dark web or Facebook marketplace. No, at a primary school, of course. Oh, yeah. Michelle began asking other mothers in her kids' schoolyard if they knew anyone who could murder Kevin's wife and her ex-husband. One mother, Kath Cowell, enjoyed Michelle's story about her lurid affair with Kevin Matthews but thought this request was just a little bit too much. Michelle had once told her about going down the beach and watching Kevin work out, so she was expecting something different to what she saw when Michelle showed her a photo of Kevin. Is that BTK? Boy, he's let himself go. (laughs) (laughs) She she certainly didn't expect him to be a red-faced bald man with a moustache and a nine-month pregnancy gut. Michelle also told her that they met up at a Fremont park and did the dirty on picnic tables and chairs. Kath didn't care for this image in her head either. Well, Yogi Bear also found it to be an offensive use of a picnic table. Oh, boo-boo, no. When Michelle asked her if she knew anybody who would whack her crazy ex-husband, Darren Burgess, and that bitch, Carolyn Matthews, Kath didn't think Michelle was serious, but eh, she told her about her brother, Dave Key, anyway. Michelle said, I don't care how it's done. Maybe a car accident. I just want him six feet under. Kath rang her brother Dave the next day. He'd only been out of prison for an armed robbery charge for two months and, well, he was looking for something to do. Dave was a scary-looking, tall, skinny man with a shaved head and a goatee beard. He was excited about his new role as a contract killer, but by his own admission, he wasn't the sharpest knife in the drawer. A later forensic psychologist report evaluated his intellectual capacity and found the drug addled Dave Key to be of low to average intelligence, virtually illiterate, vulnerable to stress, self-conscious and inclined to hostility and anger. It also stated that he satisfied the relevant criteria for alcohol abuse and amphetamine and cannabis dependence. He also suffered from post-traumatic stress disorder and had an antisocial and borderline personality disorder. Wow, these are all the things I look for in a hitman. Yeah, it really ticks all the boxes, doesn't uh, it? Oh, it's perfect, mm. perfect. Yeah, what could possibly go wrong? Michelle met up with Dave and gave him what was essentially a murder contract. It consisted of a piece of A4 paper with a colour photo of Carolyn Matthews sticky tape to it. <laughs> oh, God. Also on the paper, in neat blue pen, Kevin had handwritten his wife's date of birth, home and work address and phone numbers. Michelle told David had to be done by Friday, with the other murder done by the following week. She promised him 25k for each killing, a total of $50,000. Dave nodded in agreement, took the murder contract, folded it up and put it in his wallet. He returned to his car, feeling pleased with himself, and he smoked a bong. The next day, Michelle gave Dave another piece of paper. This one contained the photo of Darren Burgess and his address and phone numbers. Then Michelle had sex with Dave Key on his land room floor. Because why not? <laughs> why the hell not? Afterwards, she gave Dave a $1,500 down payment, which Kevin had withdrawn from his bank account earlier in the day. Michelle then left. Dave scratched his natty beard and tried <laughs> to get his brain to work. How was he going to murder these people? He didn't know and decided to smoke a bong, as he always came up with his best ideas when he was stoned. Afterwards, he forgot why he smoked the bong and had a nap. Oh, Dave. Later that night, when he was paying for the pizza he had ordered, he found the murder contracts in his wallet. With a slice of meat lovers in one hand, he began to ring around his friends to see if anyone knew where to get a gun. He told them that he needed a 9mm Beretta pistol with a silencer. His friend George said he might be able to help him out. Dave went over to George's place and showed him the contracts. This is the people I have to knock. This chick's paying for it. She's a high-class Sheila from Craigmore, and now we're fucking. (laughs) Now we're fucking. George didn't believe any of it. Dave couldn't hit his own ass with a boat paddle, thought George. Yeah, he couldn't organise a piss-up in a brewery. Well, he couldn't even catch a cold. Nah, barely. Dave went on to tell George, If I want the job, i just got to sign at the fucking bottom. (laughs) George replied with, you're a fucking idiot if you do that. George is, George is right. Yeah, look, George is the one that I relate to the most. So yeah. Far. But George thought money is money and he told Dave to come back in three days' time and he would have something oh, for him. Oh, great. We lost our moral compass, which was George. <laughs> that didn't last long, did it? But in three days' time, David spent all the money. He later admitted in court, 
Oh, I drank it, I smoke it, I bought a shit ton of fucking speed meth. <laughs> Meanwhile, Michelle was getting impatient and was phoning Dave five times a day, asking when he was going to do it. She would also drop over to his house every day, discussing ways to kill Carolyn and Darren and, of course, have sex with him. Is this while she's like still banging Kevin in parks and motel rooms and watching lots of Mel Gibson movies? Yeah, yeah. Well, no wonder she didn't have a job. She didn't have time. No. Nah. On July 12, 2001, Carolyn Matthews got up before dawn to go to work at her soft furnishings business. Her sons, Kenny, 16, Shane, 13, and Daniel, 12, were on school holidays and remained at home. Michelle and Dave were up early too. After depositing her recently received $33,000 divorce payout check from Darren, Michelle started feeding Dave drugs and pumping him up about the murder. Today was going to be the day. While driving around, they bought 12 cans of UDL scotch and coke and began drinking them. At 1.17pm, Michelle phoned Kevin. Dave heard Michelle say, Yeah, yeah, I know it has to be done today. Later in court, Dave revealed the drugs he'd taken that day. I had some fucking dope. I had speed. I'd also dropped an ecstasy tablet. Actually, that was my daily routine every morning. That's what I have just to get me going. (laughs) Some people think coffee's bad for you. Later that afternoon, Michelle and Dave drove to Bow Repairs to talk to Kevin, because that's smart. Bland, across the road at Ultratune, watched the meeting and would describe it later in court. Oh, mine's Blandy, and I thought, what the fuck's going on here? Yeah. Oh, Kevin's got his fucking dick in the drink again. (laughs) It was a heated discussion that lasted about 15 minutes. At 5.30pm, Kevin rang home. His son Shane answered. Kevin told him to grab his brothers and wait outside because he was going to come pick them up and take them to the local video shop. His sons noticed their dad was drinking a UDL scotch and coke can as he picked them up. Minutes later, Dave and Michelle were screaming at each other on the drive over to Kevin's house. They were arguing about how best to kill Carolyn Matthews. When they pulled up to the house in Nambucca Avenue in Westlakes, Michelle started taunting Dave. You better not bail on me now. Don't be a coward. Don't be an idiot. Come on, soft cock. Get yourself out of the clouds and do a real crime. Make a name for yourself. An armed robbery, break and enter and forgery is nothing. Do something real. Kill someone. Prove you're a man and not a sook. They got out of the car and walked up to the front of Kevin and Carolyn Matthews' house and pounded on the door. Home alone, Carolyn answered. Is your name Carolyn Matthews? Dave asked her. When she replied yes, he asked, Is this your picture and address? And then Dave showed her the murder contract on her own life. Well, I guess we'll never know if she recognised her husband's handwriting. I would say that she probably did. That's when Michelle rushed past Dave and punched poor unsuspecting Carolyn in the face. She fell back inside the house, followed by Michelle and Dave. Sit down, Dave ordered Carolyn. Please tell me what I've done wrong, the terrified Carolyn said. Dave didn't answer, instead looking over to Michelle, who was rattling around in a kitchen drawer. Michelle said, Dave... Bring her here. Michelle had found a 20 centimetre wheelchair knife. She screamed at Dave, Now kill her! You fucking do it. Turning the evil shrew level up to 11, she said, No, you do it. If you want to be with me, prove how much you love me. Kill her! If you don't kill her, you won't get paid and you'll never see me. You'll never see anything because I'll have you knocked. Now kill her! We can only imagine what was going through Carolyn Matthews' head as she begged for her life. Dave took the knife from Michelle and started stabbing Carolyn. She fought back, grabbing a frying pan off the bench and putting it to her chest to defend herself. It bent the knife, but it offered little protection. A later autopsy revealed over 40 injuries to Carolyn Matthews' body, including eight stab wounds. Her death resulted from rapid blood loss. Dave picked up the frying pan and the two other knives he'd seen Michelle touch and wiped them down with his shirt. He also wiped down the wheelchair knife that he used to stab Carolyn with. Dave threw them in the front garden under a bush and got in the car with Michelle. She was laughing before saying to Dave, (laughs) Well done, it's about time someone had enough balls to kill her. (laughs) When she started laughing again, Dave said to her, 
What the fuck are you laughing at? Shut the fuck up or you're next. Oh, you stupid cunt. You're under my thumb now. You're all mine. On the way to the Video Easy with his three sons, Kevin stopped at the Leg Trap Hotel in Westlakes and got four more cans of UDL Scotch and Coke, then drove with his boys to the video shop. He waited in the car as his sons borrowed X-Men and Charlie's Angels. Aw, they're probably new releases. As they were getting back in the car, the boys heard their father's phone ring, but then it stopped. The call had come from a public phone box at 489 The Esplanade at Grange Beach. It was a signal to tell Kevin the job was done. At 6.05pm, Kevin and his three sons arrived home. In what can only be described as a cunt move, Kevin unlocked the door and let his sons in first. Oh, that is such a cunt move. It was 16-year-old Kenny who discovered his dead mother in a pool of blood on their kitchen floor. Kevin attempted CPR on Carolyn while 13-year-old Shane rang for an ambulance, but there was nothing anyone could do. I read the transcript of the Triple O call and it's heartbreaking, Tara. Um, No children should ever have to go through that. No, they certainly shouldn't. Initially, police were baffled. Who would murder a suburban housewife in broad daylight? That was until they learned of Kevin's affair with Michelle Burgess. After a brilliant months-long investigation, Dave Key was the first to be arrested. He had left the police some nice, clear evidence by leaving bloody boot prints at the scene. He had also threatened Darren Burgess, who he thought was talking to the police. He told him, If Michelle gets grief, I get grief, and then I make a fucking few phone calls, and the person who makes the grief gets fucking dealt with. Do you get my drift? What? When Darren asked if he was threatening him, Dave replied, No, no, not threatening you. I'm a convicted criminal. I've been to prison. I'm not scared to go back. That's pretty much the Oxford Dictionary definition of threatening someone. But okay, Dave. Dave was arrested for speeding after a high-speed chase. Police were going to deploy road spikes to stop him, but Dave ended up getting caught in traffic and police just had to walk up to him and open his car door. (laughs) Dave got out of the vehicle still wearing his favourite boots which were later matched to the boot prints found in the Matthews kitchen. Two weeks later, DNA found in the cracks of the boots were matched to Carolyn. Police also found neatly folded the contract to kill Darren Burgess in his wallet. Dave Key was cooked and soon started talking. When asked if there was a murder contract for Carolyn and where was it, Dave told detectives, yeah, there was, but after the murder, I ate it in a sandwich. It was fucking quite tasty. Michelle Burgess was the next to be arrested. Detectives executed a search warrant on her home and found a diary which had all manner of god-awful poetry written in it about Kevin Matthews. In one piece of basic-as-fuck wordplay, she used Kevin's name to spell out awesome shit about her portly lover. K is for kind, E's for exciting, V's for vigorous, I's for intelligent, and N's for naughty. Oh, <laughs> naughty. He's a portly lover. <laughs> While on remand, and clearly still under a spell, Dave Key penned this masterpiece and sent it to Michelle. Well, he had another inmate write it because he's illiterate. Yeah. Anyway, this is what it said. Roses are red, violets are blue. Fuck, I love you. It's, it's like he wasn't even trying. I mean, come on. Roses are red, violets are blue. I made her dead. Fuck, I love you. See, there you go. Was, it really wasn't that hard, was it? It's not that hard. At Michelle Burgess's committal hearing, Kevin Matthews was front row centre wearing a white cricket hat with forever handwritten on it and he was blowing her kisses. Another man, Jason Colenzo, who was also banging Michelle and was in the car with Dave Key when he was arrested, was there giving Michelle support as well. Kevin and Jason Colenzo were now allies, united in their fight to free poor, innocent Michelle. Colenzo was arrested the following day for threatening Darren Burgess, who police had an eye on after finding the contract to kill him. Colenzo told Darren, If this gets to court, you won't. That got him charged with intimidating a Crown witness and a year in jail. That was a very expensive sentence. It really was. On September 1st, 2001, detectives arrested Kevin Matthews. One key piece of evidence was a $100,000 life insurance policy on his wife, Carolyn, which he'd gotten just weeks before her murder. Amateur. 
While Kevin was on remand, his 13-year-old son Shane wrote a letter to his father. It read, You had everything and you threw it away and now you have nothing. I hope you hang yourself with your shoelaces. Poor kids. Approaching his trial date and being unable to get drugs, the penny finally dropped with Dave Key. He managed to get this letter to Michelle and uh, it's not a love note. Michelle, I know you're fucking Jason, you filthy slut. You know what happened when I thought you were fucking Kevin? You ain't, cunt. You're going down, bitch. Everyone's going to believe me, not a lying slut like you. I've got my sister to back me up. You're going down 25, bitch. Ha, ha, ha. How's that grab you, you fucking whore? You fucked me over all you fucked me over for the last time. Love, Dave. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, Dave Key pleaded guilty and was sentenced to a 20-year non-parole period. That was just for the poem. Both Kevin and Michelle pleaded not guilty. During their trial, Dave described Michelle thusly. I want to punch her in the head and she whinges more than me mum's dog. The jury agreed with him and uh, Kevin and Michelle were both sentenced to a non-parole period of 30 years. I like how they got like, 10 more years than um, yeah than Dave. Than Dave when he's the one who really went stabby stabby. Yeah, but he, well, ple- he talked. Well, he pleaded guilty too. Yeah. Um, Look, there was a lot more to the trial than that. It went for six weeks. There were 70 witnesses and 100 exhibits, possibly some food trucks, and the jury deliberated for 17 hours. But they got them in the end. The last bit of this sordid tale is all about Michelle Burgess in custody. She immediately started to have sex or give head jobs and hand jobs to prison officers to get what she wanted. It got so bad that a rule was made that she was never to be alone with a male prison guard. Lots of rusty trombones going around. Yeah, wow. One prison officer that had a three-year relationship with her. He ended up resigning from his position and living in a house with Michelle's furniture and being her line to the outside world. He left his wife and three kids to do this. Uh, eventually, he broke it off and went back to his wife. Jesus, is there a vagina made of gold? I think it actually dispenses little baggies of meth. One of Caroline's friends said this of Michelle Burgess. She has brainwashed a lot of men. I don't know how, because she's a pretty ugly woman. I think it's a fact that she can suck a golf ball through a garden hose. <laughs> Look, I was wondering. Um, I've got to say I was wondering. Yeah, I don't want to be in the same room with her. No, you're worried that she'll vaginamatise you and then you'll just start She'll bewitch me. I know. You wouldn't think so, but the fact she bewitched anyone was kind of um, amazing. There was some talk of her actually stabbing Carolyn the first time, once, and then uh, giving and passing the knife to... Um, that wouldn't surprise me. ...to um, Dave. Well, you know, she really pushed him to do it. He wasn't a very motivated person. Yeah. Like, without her there, I, I, she's culpable for sure. Mm, but they were unable to prove it. But, yeah. Um, yeah, she's still got her 30 years, so I'm exactly. really happy about that. Yeah. Oh, my God. I bet she's... Uh, I don't want to think about it. Hey, I'd just like to acknowledge one of the sources we use for this uh, story, uh, Derek Pedley's Dead by Friday... How Lust and Greed Led to Murder in the Suburbs. Fantastic book. It goes into more detail about the um, the investigation and the uh, subsequent court case, which we didn't really go into great detail here. We, we, we concentrated on um, all the events that led, led to the crime. But have a look at that. That's a great book. Hmm. Well, what a story. Yeah, that was a sordid tale. I have but one question for you, Tara. Yes? What is Ozias? Aussie as are tales of criminal stupidity and bloody legends with a quintessentially Australian flavour. Would you like to hear one? Yes, I would. Claire McWilliam uh, sent me this one, so thanks so much for that, Claire. According to The Guardian, a man living in western New South Wales near Griffith, let's call him Steve, wanted to indulge in a little sexy time role play. Hey, baby. What floats Steve-O's boat is being tied up and having a broom handle rubbed against his underwear. He was willing to pay $5,000 for the service if it was really good. Mm. How does one judge that? The texture of the broom handle? Well, perhaps wood or plastic? Maybe the degree of difficulty with the kind of knots they used to tie him up? I wonder what Steve O was going to pay them if it wasn't really good. Uh, maybe a Band-Aid and half a pomegranate. I don't know. Where does one organise a bondage sexy time broom session, I hear you ask? Well, Facebook, obviously. Although I'm in a thousand Facebook groups, I'm not in that one and it's giving me a mega FOMO boner. 
After making arrangements with a man named Terry on Facebook for him to get some guys with machetes and rope to come tie him up and sweep his underpant bits, Steve-O sent Tezza his address. Now, I'm not sure how long passed between the planning of the sexy broom handle fondling and the execution of the plan, but in the interim, Steve-O had moved house. Oh, no. He let Tezza know his new address, but it seems that Tezza didn't get the message. Oh, no. On July 14th, 2019, a guy living in the same street as Steve-O's initial address noticed some light coming from his lounge room in the early hours of the morning. Assuming it was a friend of his who came over every morning to make coffee, he yelled, Bugger off! It's too early! That's when a male voice asked him if his name was Steve-O. Surprised, he turned on his bedside lamp, took off his sleep apnea mask and saw two men carrying machetes standing next to his bed. After possibly shitting himself, the man told them his name, which definitely wasn't Steve-O. One man apologised for the home invasion and said, Oh, look, sorry, mate. Then he shook the resident's hand, which is an important thing to do to show that you're still mates and there's no hard feelings. The other intruder said a gentle, Bye, before they left the house and drove off. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Stay fresh, cheese bag. (laughs) (laughs) The dumbfounded but relieved guy then called the cops. When the men and their driver arrived at Steve-O's correct address, he noticed that one of them had what he called a great big knife in his pants and told him not to bring it inside. Uh, It sounds like they knocked on the door this time, which was probably wise. Yeah, you don't want to accidentally do two home invasions in one night. Yeah, look, nobody's going to believe the second one was an accident, surely. The man put the, um, the great big knife, which was a machete, in the car before going inside. Steve-O, Tezza and the other man had coffee and then Steve-O made them a hearty breakfast of bacon, eggs and noodles after which Tezza fell asleep on the couch. That's not very sexy. Well, it depends on who you ask. Personally, I find eating noodles to be very erotic. I find sleeping on the couch pretty sexy too. Yeah, that's pretty hot. Sexy time nap. Woo! Hey, baby! Police rocked up soon after, found the machetes in the car and arrested Tezza and his broom handle buddy. So nobody got tied up? No. And the broom handle? Sadly, it remained unused. At trial, the judge said the Crown had proved Tezza was one of the men who entered the first house with a machete, but had not proved that his intention had been to intimidate. Tezza's barrister successfully convinced the judge that Tezza had entered the premises for a non-criminal purpose. They stated, It was a commercial agreement to tie up and stroke a semi-naked man in his underpants with a broom. (laughs) Tezza was found not guilty in the New South Wales District Court of entering the house intending to intimidate while armed with an offensive weapon. Judge Sean Grant acknowledged it was a rather unusual case and said, They carried the machetes either as a prop or something to use in their fantasy. The fantasy was unscripted and there was discretion as to how it would be carried out. According to a police officer, Steve-O had a history and proclivity for engaging the services of people, which is one of the most cryptic things I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, engaging them in what? Well, probably bondage and erotic broom play, I guess. Oh, sweet me love, Junk Tara. Yeah, absolutely. It's looking a little dusty. Maybe it was some kind of Harry Potter Quidditch thing. No, oh, maybe. I don't, I don't know. I feel like there would have been more glasses involved. Oh, sl- sweep me junk. <laughs> sweep me junk, love. Sweep me junk, love. <laughs> well, well. So this brings us to the end of the episode. But before we scarper, we'd like to thank some people who took the time to write us some good reviews. So thank you to... Candy Imogen. What's on my mind? From United States. Oh, what the hell? Double F. Y-T-R-F-T-R-D. 50 Flood. 50 Trifrider. 50 Flood. From New Zealand. And Princess Potty Mouth from the United States. Oh, I wonder if we're related. Mm. We'd also like to thank Lorraine and our Facebook moderating team. Yeah, thanks for not posting on Facebook uh, while I was doing the reading, Lorraine. Because yeah, those, just this once. Those messages come up on my <laughs> iPad when I'm, yeah. Oh, I would have been so cross. Hey, you know, Lorraine is pretty awesome. She's wonderful. You know who else is awesome? I do, our patrons. Our patrons, we love them. We love them so much, we've been holding monthly giveaways. Oh, actually, well, Lorraine is one of our patrons. <laughs> For our June prize, we're giving away a hair baby pack consisting of a T-shirt, face mask and badge. For a chance to win, be a bloody murder patron at a level $5 or above. Now, we've had a bunch of new bloody legends join our Patreon program, so thank you to... 
Catherine Knox. Jamie Stone. Rhiannon Bloxage. Vipika Linky. Kay upped her pledge. And so did... Lucy Ganano upped his too. Thanks. Yeah, thank you so much, everybody. If you would like to support us, visit our website. Or if you just want to buy us a drink. That's my thirsty voice. There's a PayPal donate button there too. And who's buying the drinks this week, Barney? The most lovely Francis Claire Maskery. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you. I've been Barney Black. And I've been Tara Saraban. And this is Bloody Murder. Please don't forget to review us on Apple Podcasts or our Facebook page. You don't need to write a well-crafted essay. Just five stars and a hey baby would still count. And of course, rate and subscribe. It really helps us defenestrate the winged monkeys. Now you can follow us through our Facebook page. (laughs) (laughs) I know it wouldn't do much because they could fly. What, what? (laughs) You can follow us on our Facebook page or join our Facebook group at Twitter, we're at Bloody Murder Pod, and on Instagram, we're Bloody underscore Murder underscore Podcast. Check out our website, BloodyMurderPodcast.com, for news, galleries, more episodes, and links to our threadless merchandise. You know, the socks, the face masks we've got now. Oh, we've got leggings, we've got artworks, um, uh, fridge magnets. Stickers. Stickers. Badges. Probably some kind of hat. Is there a hat? No. No hats. I like hats. You love hats. I thought we'd had tons of hats by now. What's going on? Did you know that I've got a secret room under the house where I keep all my hats? That's where your son Kevin lives as well. I guess he's the keeper of the hats. I used to call it my sex dungeon. Now it's my hat dungeon. Yeah, slightly more savoury. Because no one's swept my junk for a long time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they're going to need the broom to knock the cobwebs out of it. They they? really are. (laughs) So thanks for sticking around and we'll be back soon. Goodbye and adios. And keep kicking against the pricks. Oh, keep kicking against the pricks. Oh, keep kicking against those fucking pricks. Yeah, fucking K. K's for needingly erotic. And I, I's for I love you. And B, B's for... Oh, my vagina's made of meth. And and I... Oh, no, I spelt Kevin wrong. I've got to start again. Barney. B's for Barney. A is for... For asshole. Uh, Arnie, Arnie, Arnie. R, R is, is for... Ridiculous asshole. N is for... <laughs> Needy asshole. <laughs> e is for... Erotic asshole. Oh, I've got an erotic asshole. Thanks. <laughs> That's some sexy shit you've got coming out of that thing, Barney. <laughs> And what's the wife or well, why not? (laughs) Yeah, why not? It's just like having lounge room sex on the floor of an amateur hitman's place. Why not? Why not? Why Uh, not indeed? That's a bunch of fucking evil. (laughs) I know. Really, really made no sense at all. And those children lost their parents. Yeah, which is absolutely horrible. Uh, Completely unnecessary. They gained nothing from doing it and they ruined so many lives. And it was pointless because they could have just left their partners and been together. Like, is it that hard to do? Is it easier to hire a junkie hitman from your kid's school? What the fuck? (laughs) Seriously. Seriously. Oh, I will squeal like a pig, little truffle piggy. I was a, I was a pterodactyl, actually. No, pretty sure that you weren't. That was quite deliverance, and I know it. Terrible temptress, Michelle Burgess. Temptress. Terrible temptress, Michelle Burgess. <laughs> You're a terrible temptress, Barney. I know. <clears throat> well, you smell. Mmm, beautiful. Yes, thank you, I do. And a romantic viewing of a man without a face. Why doesn't he have a face? I don't know. Nobody knows. No, and I'll never find he out. He doesn't have one, Because no. there's no way I'm watching that no, He doesn't have a face. <laughs> he just, well, maybe he was born without it's one. It's a man. And man? He's, and he's got no face. But it's played by Mel Gibson, who has a face in real life. Shouldn't this role have gone to an well, actor that didn't have a face? Well, that's right, uh, yeah. I mean, it's not particularly fair. Also, Mel Gibson, toxic asshole, domestic mm. abuser. Fuck you, no. Mel Gibson. Yeah, that's right, sugar tits. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Fucking sugar tits. Okay, so tell me more about Pug Detective. Well, he's this pug dog mm. who's a detective. Yes. And um, he gets a hard time from his boss because he doesn't play by does the rules. Does he wear a gun? Does but he, he gets results. Gun? He gets results. Does he have pants on or does he not have no. pants on? He doesn't have pants on. but no? he, But he does have one of those... Um, 
you know, those gun holsters. You can, you know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he would have like a little shoulder one. Yeah. On top he, of his shirt. And he keeps it. And he keeps this railway piece mm. in his sock. Ah. Yeah. Well, I mean, rightly so. Because he's probably we- a knife in there too. Because he wears shoes. Yeah, boots. Yeah. Boots, baby. Yeah. Um, but does his uh, lieutenant always break his balls? Always breaking his breaking balls. Breaking his balls. He's breaking his balls. Oh. But he gets. But he he doesn't he, he doesn't go by the book. But he gets results. Yeah. Well, and that's what's important. He gets Getting results. Res- gets results. You stupid chief. Well. <laughs> <laughs> I think it might need a little more work. I feel like it hasn't been fully developed. Well, yet. I only just made it up. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I like it so far. Oh well, yeah, it's an idea. Work in progress. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.